Thanks for listening to this sermon from the Image Church. Find out more about us and our weekly services at imagejesus.com. We're inside of Romans 6, and I kind of jumped over Romans 5, but while I'm going through this text today, I'm going to actually hit back on Romans 5 because Romans 6 is kind of responding to Romans 5. And so what I was telling you before is that Romans is thought to be one of Paul's most important books. It's one of his longest books, and Paul is actually making... He, he's, he's defending this one statement, the righteous shall live by faith. This book, the way Paul is talking in it, is so important because this is where the rubber meets the road, whether you're a believer or not. Um, the context then is very much the same way it is now. You had the debate of people who um, live by the law of works and thought they were earning their way to God. And then you have people who believed in the law of faith by faith in what Jesus Christ had done on the cross, right? And so Paul is like, yo, we got to draw a line. We have to draw a line because it's, it's, it's detrimental, right? Because it means that it's the difference between whether you're really a believer or if you're just doing this religious thing that's, that's not about Jesus, but about our piety and our self-righteousness. Are we doing this thing that looks godly, but it has no esteem for Jesus Christ? Or are we... Jesus, right? Are we the cross? And so Paul is making a very serious point. And so another thing I want you to know, the reason I want you to, I'm, I'm going to throw out a lot of verses today just to back up my statements. And I'm going to be ping-ponging a little bit, but it'll all work together at the end of the day. But I want you to listen very, very, very closely because of how I'm going to move through the text. Um, but the reason this is so important is because, you know, it's good when we get in conversations with people and we talk about the gospel and everything. We're trying to point them to the light. And sometimes we're doing it off our emotions and our feelings and everything else. And they, they can even be on point. But there's nothing better than actually taking people to the Bible and actually showing them the text. All right? Now, if you're like me, I'm horrible at remembering scripture. But this one right here, you can throw this just like, you like, you know what I'm saying? Romans 6. You get in that argument about the gospel, law, and everything else, you can always go to this scripture right here and run right through it and point to exactly what you're trying to point to. Um, so it's important that you have it in your backpack of resources when you're having this conversation and you're lovingly trying to show people this. All right? So are we ready? Yes. Yes, let's do it. All right. Romans 6 says this. And have mercy on the guys in the back with the, with the verses. Because I gave them like 50 million verses, and I know they're going to, y'all do what y'all can do. We love y'all. We appreciate y'all. All right, so it says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ? Jesus, we're baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to jump back to chapter 5, verse 18 through 20. Um, because what Paul, when he starts off in this chapter and he's going, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He's responding to what he knows his naysayers who may be reading his text are thinking, right? And the reason they're thinking that is because of what he said previously. So this is what he said. He said, therefore, as one trespass, excuse me, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. 
For as by one man's disobedience, the, mi- the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now, verse 20 is where he hits at. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass. So, in other words, when the law of God came into place, now we see our sins. And they actually multiply because before, the, in, in a previous text, it says there's no sin where there's no law, Right? So if I tell you, hey, you can't drive down a one-way street, if there's no law, no policy put anywhere, then you can drive wherever you want to. You get what I'm saying? So he's basically, he's making a statement. He's like, so once the law came into place, we could see ourselves. The holy, our holy God put a law in place, and now we could see ourselves, right? And so he says, says, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through the righteousness, through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. All right. So check this out. As a believer and as a person who badly needs the grace of God, and I need his mercy because I trip and I stumble and I do stuff all the time, and the Spirit has opened my eyes, and I see myself when I say something wrong to my kids. I'm like, that was the right thing, but I said it the wrong way. Before, I didn't used to catch that, but now it hurts, and it even makes me grieve, right? So I like wallowing in the idea of grace. It's a beautiful thing for me because I'm fully aware I need it. And so when Paul makes this statement, he says, so that sin, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ and our Lord. He's just basking in the ambiance. You know what I'm saying? He's just basking in the ambiance of grace. He's like, man, this is a beautiful thing. But if you've had this conversation before with people, when you start basking in the ambiance of grace, they go, oh, so you just think you could just run out and just sin and do all you, so you're just going to run around the world just doing whatever you want to do? Like they can't get past the idea of freedom in Christ. And they think it means, let's go run in sin. And so that's why Paul answers in verse 6, because he already knows what it is. And you got to peep that. Listen, the context then is the same as it is now. Because if you walk outside with this grace message, plenty of you have been in this conversation before. You always get met with that same thing. So, oh, we could just sin? And so we're going to unpack that a little bit. So that's why he said, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace uh, may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? All right? So let me read this to you. Romans 5 right here. He says, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So the, the, the two people in this conversation are you have the people who are being, um, are in this cloud of God's grace and mercy. And they're in the freedom of that. So they get to live, live freely. Everything is not, oh, my God, I got to do right because they got to earn it. And if you notice in that scripture I just read to you from verse from chapter 5, um, it says, one trespass brought condemnation. This debate that's happening is happening with people who are still under condemnation. Do you get where I'm coming from? That's really important to know in this conversation because if you feel, and condemnation means that you are disapproved. So if you don't believe this law of faith that says that Jesus 
his work makes us righteous, then of course you have to work to be righteous because you are disapproved. Do you get where I'm coming from? So when we wake up, I've had this conversation with y'all, and I wake up feeling like this sometimes when the devil's in my ear. Sometimes I wake up and I feel like a failure before I even get my eyes open. You ever been there before? It feels like no matter what, I feel like a failure. And the devil's in my ear like, you suck at everything. That's it. I feel like a failure. I feel like a failure before God. And it usually leads me into some type of sin that I have rehearsed that I know how to do well when I'm hiding from the Lord. That's what usually comes after it. Because I'm under condemnation. Right? So in that moment, my idolatry is leaning into myself and not leaning into the cross because I'm under condemnation. You get how that works? This is a pivotal point in the conversation. When you have this conversation, this is the tool you need to work with, that word right there, because that is the deciding factor. But the beautiful thing is, he says, but the free gift, following many trespasses, brought justification. So Jesus is the free gift, and he brought justification to make us clean. So we get the rest in the fact that he died for our sins, and we're actually made righteous and clean because of him. I know there's a lot in these statements that you probably want to unpack. Just roll with me. I'm going to get to it, all right? Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's good news. All right? Of course, they would pose their question like this every time they hear that message about grace. For some people, it's just, it's just unbelievable. They say, who do you think you are? Like, I see you. You're a mess. I was talking to one of my brothers today, and he was like, man, my family's attacking me or whatever, and this and that, and they say I'm a liar and a fraud or whatever, and, and he is struggling with some sin areas in his life. But he's the only one in his family that actually walks in the light and admits it. And I said, the rest of them are actually stomping on you or whatever because you're the only one walking in the light. I said, but you actually get the rest in the fact that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and he's actually going to be faithful to continue to sanctify you and lead you to holiness. This mess that you're in and caught up in, you ain't stuck here, homie. We're on a long walk. We're on a long walk, and Jesus is faithful in it, right? So I said, that's what happens, bro. That's some of the suffering that happens because people don't see you trip like, oh, I thought you was good. I'm like, oh, I thought you understood the gospel because my gospel doesn't talk about me being the good guy talks about him being the good guy, and I'm just trying to follow him the best I can or whatever. So anyway, you know how that story goes. But this, is, this difference here is one of the most divisive lies the enemy has launched because it looks so pretty. It looks so pretty. You look so good to people trying to earn your righteousness through works, and that's where the confusion comes in. So we have people that talk about God all day long until they're blue in the face. But they're not doing it in freedom. It's something they have to do. It's piety for them. It's self-righteousness. It's them earning their way to God, which is not true, which is why they're under the condemnation. Because after we get done playing the game in front for everybody, we go look in the mirror and we know we're a wreck. And like I said, we all deal with this sometimes. But that's a lie for us, for our reality. That's a lie for our reality. So we get to lean into Christ and get caught up on things for real. But when you 
reject Christ, you just in that lie. All you got is the game, and it just eats you alive. And some people don't know how to let go of it. That's why this gospel and this message that we deliver is such good news because it's rest for people if they'll grab onto it and stop putting faith in themselves and put their faith in Jesus Christ. You get to stop playing the game. It's all right. You can be a wreck, and we'll walk this walk to you. You get to walk in the light, and we get to help each other and encourage each other and point each other to the cross, all right? So that lie is cute because it looks so pretty, but it's a lie, all right? So Romans 5, 9 says this. It says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God. Check this out. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. These words are so pivotal and important. And I'm going to unpack it a little bit. It says, through whom we have now received reconciliation. John's, John 14, 6 says this. It says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can talk about God all day long. And people will celebrate you and be like, man, you're an awesome man of God and you're an awesome woman of God. You can't be a woman of God or a man of God until you're a man of Jesus and a woman of Jesus. It's in the scripture. That's what he just told us. And the reason I'm pointing that out is because when you see people who are caught in piety, often you kind of see this weird kind of imbalance where there's esteem for godliness or something that appears like godliness, but an undermining of Jesus Christ. But when you are a broken sinner and you can't function without the blood of Jesus hitting you in your face every day because you see yourself, you see your wretchedness, you see your brokenness, and it's like air for you, you can spot the funny talk real quick. You, know, you get what I'm saying? Either it's funny and it's completely off or you just have somebody who's a little bit immature and they haven't quite seen themselves in the mirror and you get to get beside them and walk them through it. But nevertheless, this is where we as believers and people who are disciple people are pointing each other to, to our brokenness and our desperation for Jesus. Because there's no other story in the middle of that. We're in bad shape without him. That's just simply it. So as we disciple people and lead people, this is it. This is the story, right? All right. John 2.23 says, no one who denies the son has the father. Whoever confesses the son has the father also. I just want us as a church to know that because there's a certain protocol there or whatever. There's this thing within the Trinity where there's this respect and honor, esteem, and everything else, and we don't start playing the game different ways or whatever. The Father points us to the Son and what His Son did, and then Jesus points us back to the Father as He obeys Him, and the Holy Spirit is pointing us to Jesus and to walk in the light, right? There has to be a healthy understanding of that and how we esteem that and how we, 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 we go into that, right? In verse 9 to 10, Paul is looking to reason with those under this condemnation and encourage the church by explaining the surety of our salvation in the work of Christ. Work being that while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by death, by the death of his son. So Paul is using this reasoning tactic as he's talking, and he says, he says, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? 
more than that, we also rejoice through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You can't just read this like this is mere words. This, he, he's having a conversation here. And so he's saying, he's like, you, you actually not believing that our salvation is sure? Like you were a straight up enemy of God and a sinner, and he actually sent his son while you was acting crazy? And you think that his promise and his covenant to keep you and walk with you and cover your iniquities isn't true and sure? You do know you, he sent his son and put it, had him die on the cross for you. That's what he's trying to get in in this text. That's the, that's the reason he's using to point those to the truth, right? And then he says, he says we're justified by his blood. Therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Paul is not playing around. We have to know this, church. This is what he's saying. This is, this is it. You have to know this. This is it. If anybody wants to talk church talk and all that, we ain't talking no type of church talk until you're talking this talk. This is it. This is everything that we are built on or else we built on something else. All right? This is the part that makes the church not be just a business. This is the part that makes the church alive. I get mad at the church sometimes, too. Seems like a game sometimes. But this right here, if we're going to be God's bride for real, this is what it is. Us being wrapped in the idea that we are justified by his blood and we've been saved from the wrath. All right? So I have a friend the other day, um, that, I have a friend that called me the other day, and a um, person I love um, and, and friends in, involved in the music business, doing very well in it, and he had a very, um, he, he had a lot of artists, well, he has a lot of artists he works with, and some of them are even on Billboard right now and everything, and we were talking the other day, and I love this guy with all my heart, and he was telling me they went to a network to go perform and do some stuff, and everybody in the room would know it, a really huge platform. And um, he was talking to me, he's like, man, when we were there the other day, he's like, this whole thing came up while we were there about um, being sure about, you know, like going to heaven and stuff, and, and being sure about being saved, for real. That, that was his conversation. And it surprised me because him and all the people that he was with, are knee-deep in the gospel industry, and not one of them had the right answer. And what grieved me about it is they were in front of some really, really prominent people having this conversation, and nobody had the answer. And so I listened to him explain what he was saying. I said, bro, you got all the pieces, but you got them all backwards. So you got them all backwards. And I said, let me help you out with it. And so I just started walking him through the gospel. And, but, you know, what he explained to me first, he was like, yeah, yeah, you know, so I just, I was telling him, I said, I figure you just have to work really hard and just hope that you do enough. And I was like, no, no, that, that's not it. We're not doing hope you do enough. Nobody's doing enough. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, my wife ain't going to tell you I'm doing enough. She's like, he sucks, but I love him. All right. Uh, I've settled with that and... Uh, and I just endure, all right? And then she's going to tap you on the shoulder be like, 
be praying for me. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on, man. You know, like, it's not happening. We're not heroes here. Nobody we come in contact with and get into real relationship. That's why God pushes on us esteeming each other so much and humbling ourselves like he did. Because, like, that has to be rooted in us to even get close to each other, know each other. Because when we see each other, we're going to be like, so-and-so get on my nerves, da-da-da, I hear it all the time. And I just point back to this book, what the Lord told us, right? But that hurt. It hurt because I'm like, man, this is where, where we're at. Like, we have to be awake in that. You know what I'm saying? Like, people don't know. So a whole bunch of people wearing the God badge or whatever, jumping and running around churches and doing all type of stuff and preaching and platforms and making millions and everything, and they don't even know what this is. They don't know what Paul's saying right here. That's why I was just saying the other week that if you've been a Christian for 40 years or you just became a believer yesterday, you can deliver the gospel with razor sharpness and surety because Jesus put, because his blood is backing up this right here. Not your blood, his blood. His blood. So when we, when, we, when we throw this out there, we're not standing on, you know, some people think like, you know, I just want to be good because, you know, this and that. Like, it's not, you don't launch this off of your goodness. You launch it off of his goodness. That's what gives you the right to be able to proclaim it. You can be having your worst day. Your worst day. This is still true. Even when you don't feel like it's true, it's still true. Even when you don't feel good about the Lord that day, and we have days like that, it's still true. So you can still, you can still pitch it, all right? But what's important, too, this is just a side note. It's important for us to share this gospel with the end in mind. And what I mean by that is it's important for us to, I'll say it to you like this right here, you know, I came up in a very charismatic church, and they did not point to the gospel like this at all. Um, they just really, really didn't. They didn't point to this thing that we're pointing at today. And then I met a lot of people who actually understood this very, very, very well. And I could never hear what they were saying because the way that they actually pointed to it was so mean and so pompous and so high-minded, right? So this ain't about us being a church that gets it so we can walk around and boast in that. It's about us being a church that gets it so we can give it. So when you declare this good news, make sure you declare it with the hope for redemption for the person on the other side of this hearing it. That's super important because we forget real easy and we get cute with it and we start talking to people crazy. And somebody be ready to punch you in the head. Because I was about to punch some people, even though I was saved. I was just going to choke somebody out. I was like, praise the Lord. I'm going to worry. He died. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're going to die with him? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. All right. Chapter 2, Paul tells us that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. So we should lead with the hope that our listeners will repent. Um, verse 3 through 4, he says this right here. He says, do you know? that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Listen to this really good, y'all. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, 
just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. When he makes this statement, he says, do you not know? He is basically giving um, somewhat of a loving rebuke. And what I mean by that is that he is saying, um, it's kind of like if you work with a coworker or whatever, and you'll have a process or a system the way y'all do things. And there's a place that the mops are supposed to go after you clean up. And you see them throwing the mops somewhere else, and you're like, homie, you didn't know? They didn't teach you that in the beginning? You should have got trained on that. Somebody missed it. Somebody missed it. That's what he's doing right there. He's saying, do you not know this? Because he's saying this is fundamental as a believer, as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus Christ. He's saying it is fundamental that you know this statement right here, that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. I'm going to unpack that for you a little bit, all right? The truth he he is pushing is that in our awakening, our discipleship care package should have afforded us the information that the old us is dead. We are alive in Christ through the work of Christ and have turned from our old path to follow Christ in bringing glory to the Father. I'm going to jump ahead of myself a little bit because I don't want you to lose this real quick. What he's trying to tell you is that where you work at as a believer, like, it, like where you do work at, is looking at the cross and everything he's saying there, this idea of being buried, your old self buried, and now being alive in Christ Jesus, right? Hold on to that, and let me, let me hit some of this stuff or whatever, right? So I was just talking to a missionary the other day I met and Bowl Bean Coffee Shop, which is the meetup place for all Christians in the world, and, um, <laughs> and stuff, whatever. I can't even go in there and do my sermon anymore because it's crazy. But anyway, so I was in there, and, and if y'all allow me, y'all, I'm going to run over like 10 minutes or whatever. But um, I'm in there. I meet this guy, whatever. He's from Africa. He's a missionary. And I'm talking to him. He's like, yeah, I'm over there, and I'm churning, uh, planting churches. And I was like, that's really, really cool. He's like, yeah, I'm actually from Jacksonville. I'm back here, and I have a team of like 10 people, and we're about to go over to... Um, we're about to go back over to Africa. We're just raising the funds and everything else. He's like, we've already planted one church, and we're looking that we got some more. We're going to get popped off or whatever, right? And so I asked him the question. I said, man, I said, how is it going over to Africa and see what you see and then come back to the United States where it's so easy for us to slip in um, into church as something we do? Like we get frustrated with not doing church well like more than we do with not being the church well. You get what I'm saying? Like we'll let something like the AC be like, I'm done. I'm done. Like for real? You know what I'm saying? And like, I'm like, I'm like, you you know, I don't respect that. I'll tell you what I will respect. I I, I will respect you getting mad at me like, yo, Jay, we ain't getting to these streets quick enough. I I respect that type of heat. I I would respect you like, yo, these people dying out here. Left and right, lost. We need to get this thing faster. We need to move. 
That's the type of heat we need to have on our back, right? But anyway, I'm talking to this guy, and he's in this place. I'm not part of, sure what part of, he's in of Africa, but he said it's one of the voodoo capitals. And then I asked him that question. I said, what's it like coming back home and seeing how we can just do church so easy and everything? And he said, man, he said, y'all don't realize you're actually in the same context I'm in over there. He said, uh, y'all just miss it. He goes, especially inside of your broken communities. He goes, not that Ponte Vedra isn't broken. They just don't have no broken windows. So they miss how broken they are. He goes, but in the neighborhoods that are obviously broken, they're broken. He goes, it's no different than where I'm at. He goes, but y'all miss it, and y'all do church. And you're actually not functioning based on what you actually see. Like somehow you are looking past it. And so... My heat on my back sometimes as the pastor is people saying, hey, Jay, we need to do this well. We need to do that well. He would be like, homie, you need to get out there well. I don't care if all the other stuff is important, but this is the priority, right? And so he was telling me, he's like, so we missed that. And he said, when I disciple somebody, he goes, every convert knows straight off the bat, all you is dying right now. We're about to put you in the pool, and when you come up, you're coming up as a follower of Jesus Christ. And he says, they know straight off the bat, they're giving up their life, and they're becoming disciples. They're going to follow Christ. They're going to, he's going to be, that's, that's it. And he said, they know that they are called to the mission of discipling people and making disciples. And he goes, and a lot of them already grasp an idea that, yeah, they might be church planners. Because it's not, he's like, that's it. They're not caught up in, the, in everything else that seems like a priority. It's like, this is it. There's nobody over to pat me on the back and celebrate me for doing church real awesome. It's only me doing this work unto the Lord. That's it. The reward I'm going to get is going to be in heaven somewhere. That's it, because nobody's over there. It's not a cool community. I don't have bold bean to come sit in or whatever and chill. And people are like, man, you're awesome. No. It's just me over in Africa in a place that I don't know nothing about figuring it out, pushing through it. Pushing through it. But that messed with me. It messed with me to hear him say that. And that's what Paul is saying right there. He's saying, do you not know? And he's taking them back to basics. He said, homie, you should have got this from the beginning. He said, you should have got this from the beginning. I was in Atlanta not too long ago, and everybody, y'all know like Lecrae? How many people know Lecrae? All right. So, um, Lecrae and them, there's a guy, um, y'all know Show Baraka? Any of y'all know Show Baraka? Yeah. So, Show Baraka's brother, Dahadi, planted a church called Blueprint in Atlanta. Well, all of them, Tadashi, Lecrae, all of these people, um, a lot of them were on the same college campus over in Texas. And, you know, Dahadi started doing a Bible study, that grew, and they actually decided, like 50 of them left and moved to Atlanta and planted a church. And this is actually where you see reach records and all of that stuff going forward from these just group of people, like group of young guys and women, right? Well, so the Hadi has a church over there. It's been over there for a while, and I was able to go over there doing a residency rotation. And what messed with me when I was there was there were probably, there's anywhere from three to four pastors from his church that came in. Number one, I had been hearing about it because it's connected to some of these gospel rap stars, right? 
And so I expected it to be like, oh, this is going to be flashy and everything else. When I got over, it was smack dab in the middle of the hood. And, and, and we walk in the blocks, and I'm watching him, and I'm like, whoa, this is amazing. Like, this is amazing, because he has everything in front of him to play it cute and be this type of church, and he's completely like, no, this is it. This is what we do. This is the priority. But what got me was, it was either three or four. Guys from the church came in, them and their wives, while I was there over the three days, and they were leaving his church to go plant new churches in other cities. And they were taking anywhere from 30 to 50 members. And I'm watching that, and I'm like, that just blew my mind. Because I'm thinking, I'm like, so y'all about to just go to Idaho? You know, you know what I'm saying? I'm just like, I'm like, so like, you know, it's one thing. It was like one or two just, you know, we're going we're gonna to get out there. But I'm like, the mindset of discipleship within the room and people being dead to themselves and completely all in, like, we're picking up and we're going. That blew my mind. That blew my mind. So church of 700 people, between those three, we're talking at least 90 families that were like, yo, wherever, we're going. The idea of doing something like the pastors from Blueprint sounds a bit crazy and radical. But not for a dead person, though. Not for a dead person, though. Not for a person who is dead to themselves. And all they're doing is, Father, what you want me to do? It's not, I can't do it. It's not 50 million questions. What do you want me to do? You point, because I trust you, because you provide it. When I came in the building this morning, I screamed as soon as I walked in the door. I just came in. I was like, good morning. I was like, Jesus is king. And the only reason I did that is because, man, I got so much stuff going on, but I am so at peace with the fact that Jesus is king. I might be a wreck tomorrow, but today, I believe it, and it's taking the stress off my head. It's taking, me to, taking my stress off my head. Because I'm trusting him. And, and I want to do this. I want to stay there. My, I was on my knees last night like, Father, please keep me here. Please keep me poor before you and thirsty for you because I got a tendency to get cute. And then I'm back in the same spot again with the same rotation. I'm getting off track a little bit. Let me get back to this. We need to die. And people always ask, they go, Jay, what is, what's, what's the plan for the church? What's the vision? What do you want to do? Man, I got crazy ideas. I do. I got a bunch of them. But guess what? Dying is our priority. That's the first stop. If you want to know what it is, I'm trying to kill us. Because I by no means think we're there. I'm, I'm trying to kill myself so I can do this crazy stuff that I have in mind. And I'm hoping that y'all will take the journey and die with me. That you will die with me so we can do something amazing. A dead church dead to itself, but alive in Christ, can do something crazy in this city, can do something crazy in this city. Now get back to the basics. So that's what we're doing. That's the plan. That's the vision, to go back to this, do you not know, and make sure that we know, so then we could go forward. 
All right? I'm going to go through this kind of quick so we can wrap up. Verse 5 says this. Listen to this really well. It's amazing stuff. It says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. He's boasting about how secure this promise is again. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin. Once for all, but the, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So check this out. So also you must consider yourselves dead. To sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. All right? He's talking about the real walking dead. He's talking about the real walking dead. That's the church, the real walking dead, dead to themselves, alive in Christ, right? Let's keep on moving. Watch this. Verse 12, he says, let no sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin, hear it, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. Listen, this is where I'm stopping at right here, right? But before I stop, let me tell you what happens when you get to that scripture and you start talking about sin. I already know what's happening in the room right now. Everybody's like, praise the Lord, I still sin. (laughs) What does it mean for me? Am I in or out? Like, and then we're, you know what's happening. I know you're sweating. I can see it coming off your forehead. I can't see y'all in here real good, but I can see it glistening. All right? So that is the game Satan plays. And then we right back on the treadmill, back to working again, trying to run our hardest and do our best to work into his loving grace, which that is not how you get there. All right? So I'm not going to leave you like that. Because these scriptures used to leave me like that all the time. So I'm going to go through something really, really fast, right? He says, he says, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. This is walking in the spirit. Nobody can be brought from death to life but through the work of Jesus. So our work is to lean into the work of Christ on our behalf. The reason this sin talk will mess with your mind is if you don't know what he's saying. If you don't know what he did and understand what he did. You got to know what he did, and you have to understand it well. So when Satan comes to whisper in your ear, and he will, like I just said, he just whispered in your ear. When he comes to tell you, but you sin. You can't be a believer. You're a horrible believer. You have to know what the gospel says about that. But I'm going to give you something to take with you before we end, right? Dead man walking. We have to know how big sanctification is in this story and God's promise and the covenant we have with him, right? So let me read this to you. 
Hebrews 12, verse 4 says this. It says, in your struggle against sin. So there's a struggle. It's an admitted struggle. Just talk, talked about sin having no domain, no domain over us, right? But he just said, he said there's a struggle. So either this is, you know, hypocritical or we have to figure out what's going on here. He says, look, he does it again. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And check this out. And have you completely forgotten? This is another jab at our maturity. This is what you should have learned from the very beginning. This is what I should have learned. This is why this is the, the vision starts here going back to basics. He says, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? First point right there. Are we orphans that have to earn our keep to stay in the house? Or are we children of God and sons and daughters that get to walk around and do what we want to up in the thing? But we love our daddy, so we want to do what glorifies him. Am I right? Because he took us in when we didn't deserve to be in. And he put his blood on it to make sure it's secure. And he's made us heirs with him. So why would we want to trample over it, right? So that's why he talks to you and he talks like as a father and a son. Because the condemned don't think that they are legitimate children. They don't think his blood actually was secure enough to bring them in the family for real. So they're always trying to work real hard to get back in the family. But we in the family. This is what you have to know. He brought us in the family. So that's why we, when I say we lean into the work of Christ, we lean into what he did to bring us in the family, not into what we have to do to stay in the family. We're secure in what he did in his work, all right? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardships as discipline. God is treating you as his children. Do you hear it? For what children are not disciplined by their father? You hear that? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. You are not true sons and daughters at all. That's what the text says. That's what it says. Then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but look at this right here. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Listen to this right here real quick. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. This is the promise of sanctification. Jesus died. His blood covers our sins. When we come into that, we are justified and made 100% clean in his eyes. And then he takes the long walk. And he continues to sanctify us. And before we could wallow in our sin and it just be nothing or whatever and it was good to go, now it grieves us and it hurts us. And that is the correction from the Father who is purging it out of you as we take this long walk with him. And so the big difference from all of this stuff, when we hear this stuff about sin talk and sin no more and everything else, 
Yeah, he can say it and not be a hypocrite because the blood of Jesus covers our sins. And we're in a certain, we're in a different thing. We're not orphans that have to earn our way in. We're in. And what he just described in Hebrews is the process that every single parent goes through, right? My kids sin all the time. And I love them. They'll never get kicked out of family for it. But I try the best I can to bring rebuke sometime, walk them through the process, point them to the right way, right? Our father's no different. Besides, he's a hundred million times better, right? I'm not I'm gonna I'm gonna fail at it. I'm not gonna do very good at it. And I'm gonna repent and point to Jesus is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna point to the Father. But my father above is my children's father. But I'm saying all of that to let you know, like, we are children of the promise. So that's why we don't tremble and let the enemy bring us back into this fear again that tells us we're not children. Because when we get rebuked for flipping and slipping, it's a different type of thing. It's that of a father and a son and the promise of a father to lead us to holiness. Y'all get where I'm coming from? We have to know this because it, it, it trips us all up sitting, dancing with all this condemnation and, and him messing with our identity and who we are. That's why we have to be rooted in Christ Jesus.